Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, we all go through times in our life where God is at work in like remarkable ways. And individuals see that and also churches see that. That's the text we're going to look at this morning, how that's working in the book of Acts when God is at work. Now, that doesn't mean that God isn't at work at all times or that he goes to sleep on the other side of the planet for a little bit, for the scripture says he neither slumbers nor sleeps. It does mean that sometimes we don't see him work like that, and we believe that by faith. But other times, there's times where we just see God work in ways that are amazing. Let me start this morning just by telling you a couple of those experiences here at Fellowships, and some of you have come more recently. Um, These are parts of our history as a church. Um, Before we were in this building, we were meeting in the schools, Clearview Junior High School, then Clearview High School, then Kingsway Middle School, Kingsway High School, uh, and we acquired this property, which was just a big alfalfa field for, I don't know, probably the last hundred years, okay? So that's what this property was. And on the day that we decided that we would build this building and raise funds for this building, we actually cut the parameters of this building out of the hay that was about two feet tall, and there was the building, the footprint of the building, in the middle of the hay field. And then we all came out and sat in chairs, and folks walked forward a little box, and they said, this is my gift to by faith to see this church come into existence. Now, let me tell you something about that day that was unique. We were out here, we didn't have a building, and it was raining, okay? It was raining that way, it was raining that way, and the place it wasn't raining was on this corner, okay? And I remember thinking, like, this is amazing, like, because, you know, everybody brought their gifts, and it was this sacred kind of spiritual moment where we were just going to give and and make commitments. And and God just said, listen, I'm going to stop there. And not only did he do that, but on that day, while we sat here, there was a rainbow that appeared, okay? And it was like, God is at work, right? We see God at work. Sometimes we see him at work like that. Sometimes we see him at work in individual lives. I remember that we were at Kingsway um, meeting there. While we were waiting to come into this facility, that I was wrestling with various questions that we ought to ask. And one of those questions came up as who wants to be, say it for me, not a millionaire, okay? I know you were thinking that. Who wants to be a godly man? And I thought I had asked that question. Like, who wants to be a godly man? And I was reading in the book of Nehemiah where all of a sudden these men came forward when that question was posed to them and they signed a document and they said, Us, we want to be a godly man. And so we were in Kingsway. Hundreds of people sitting there in the gym, on the chairs, and up in the stadium, up in the uh, bleacher seating. And, and I asked that question. I said, listen, if you want to be a godly man, then we will take the responsibility to try to train you. Right? We didn't have a facility. We didn't have a building. We just had a gym that we were borrowing. And I remember that our tech guy said to me, Phil, you probably are going to want to pray for these guys when they come forward. So I, I've carved out a little space over here for about 20 guys. And I remember thinking, that's cool. If we get 20 guys who want to be godly men, then that's a great start. And I asked the question, and nearly all the men stood up in the building and started forming a line to sign this blank piece of paper. All it said was, I want to be a godly man. 
And I remember that when that service was over, um, the, the men happened. And I called a friend and I said, I got a problem. He was a pastor in California. I said, I got it in Washington. I said, I got a serious problem. He said, what happened? I said, I asked this question, who wants to be a godly man? And all these men stood up and I promised him we'd train him. He said, that's not a problem. I said, that's not my problem. Next week, I'm going to ask who wants to be a godly woman. Okay. Right. There are times where God just steps in and says, I'm here. I'm here. And I want you to know that I'm here. And I want to remind you that when you've had those moments as an individual or in a church experience, you want to hold on to those moments. You don't just want those to just kind of drift away. They are a part of your history. And fellowship has numerous times like that that are a part of their history. When we supported the efforts for Hurricane Sandy, we were a place in New Jersey that wasn't touched by that hurricane that went up and down the coast. Somebody from Virginia called and said, hey, I got a trailer of stuff. Can we bring it up? And they brought up a trailer of water. Possible, right? Because God shows up in remarkable ways. Well, that brings us to our text this morning, and we want to look at that. Um, it is when God is working some things that we can do. So why don't you stand with me for the reading of the scripture? I'll pick up the reading at Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 12. The scripture says, now many, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's the temple there. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy... They arrested the apostles in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. You may be seated. Here's five words I want you to think about this morning that go with what we should be doing when we see God at work. Okay? So when we see God at work, we just don't want to sit back and say, That's awesome. We want to say, okay, this is how I should be involved when God is at work. Serve, seek, examine, pray, and prepare. Here they are, just five words. Here's the first one. You want to serve with anonymity. Serve with anonymity. And that word just means anonymous. It means that you and I aren't noticed, but we're serving. We don't need the attention drawn to us. In fact, um, we just live in kind of a time of kind of rock star pastors and everybody follows somebody and they just kind of hit the, they just go up into the atmosphere, it seems like. I want to remind you of something really important in this passage. If I were to ask you, who did the healing, and you had just given it a simple reading, you probably would have said Peter. But look at the text. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. There's 12 men Only one of them gets his name mentioned, Peter. The other 11 are just doing it, right? Nobody is saying, hey, listen, I I need attention. I need somebody to notice what I am doing. And, And you know how this works, right? We only really know if we have a servant's heart when we serve and nobody notices that we served. When we serve and nobody says thank you. When we serve and, and there's never any recognition of service. And then if we kind of say, man, I, 
I don't know, I'm a little tired of serving, okay? If we get into that moment, we can recognize that we really weren't seeking to serve with anonymity. We were seeking to be seen in our service. Now, notice something immediately that happens in the text. If we're content with anonymity, that is, we don't have to be known, we are less prone to jealousy. If we are content with anonymity, we are less prone to jealousy. Because in Genesis chapter 5, verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. The apostles aren't jealous one of another. They're just serving, right? Now, that wasn't always their position, remember. We're coming up to Good Friday service in, in a few weeks. And by way of reminder, in that upper room, they're all arguing about who's going to be first. But at this stage in their ministry, they are serving with anonymity. In fact, there's 12 apostles, but you really don't hear much about them as individuals in the book of Acts. They, but here they are, serving, healing, And nobody's saying, listen, um, I want the attention. I want to take the hardest healing case. They're just serving. If we're content with anonymity, we are less prone to jealousy. Here's the second idea. If we're content with anonymity, the cross is more likely to be prominent. That's right. Martin Luther once said something like, listen, most people are perfectly desirous of being seen by all and will climb up on the cross to get there even if they have to step somewhat on the person who was there before them. The point is, is that when you and I are content with not having to be seen, without having to be noticed, in that moment, propensity more prominent. And I'll show that to you because every time in, in looking at, he, he comes back to the same kind of thing. Like in Acts chapter 3, verse um, there, in the first lesson he gives, he says, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And a little later, there he is speaking in, in, in chapter 4, verse 10. It's the same kind of thing. He says, you crucified him. In chapter 5, verse 30, he says the same thing. Given a chance to preach, he says, the God of our fathers raised whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Over and over again, the cross becomes prominent if you and I... In fact, I think Paul got it right so clearly when he says in Galatians, Six, but far be it from me to accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I don't have to be known. In fact, Paul probably would be pretty uncomfortable with the fact that most churches in communities are often named after him. Right? Uh, Saint Paul, Saint Peter. Those churches are named after. Him. And it's like, it's like Paul would say, listen, all I wanted was for the cross to be seen, not for me. Here's the second idea. Seek to build unity. Serve with anonymity. Okay? So when God's at work, you don't have to be seen. Okay? Let God be seen. Seek to build unity. And I find that in this little phrase in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and they were all together. Now, When I first read that in English, I thought, okay, I'm going to look it up, and I'm going to bet that the word together has something to do with koinonia, right? It's together, it's a fellowship, it's something like that. It isn't that at all. It's this great word, um, homo homo thumidon. Now, homo means the same, right? It's the prefix that means actually the word that we get passionate students who sit in class and say, I'm never going to have to know what the word onomatopoeia means, Here's the occurrence. Thumadon is actually a word that sounds like what it is. Thumas. 
It's an explosion. Thumas. Okay? It's like a volcanic explosion. When you put it here, you have, they were all together. I love this. They had the same passion around the same agenda. It's, it's, not just about, it's not just about the fact that they were together. It's that they were together with this kind of passionate response about the same thing. Now, just think about how that works for a second. If I were to ask somebody sitting next to you, what is really important to this guy or what is really important to this woman, they could probably tell me. If they've lived with you, they'd say, uh, yeah, he's a big fan of this group. He's a big fan of that. This is the music he likes. This is what he likes to do with his free time. Um, when you start to talk to him, he's really quiet until you talk about this, and then he won't shut up. Okay. You can get the idea that we all have passion about everything else. But here they were together. Their passion was tied around the same agenda. That is that Christ would be exalted. Now, just for a moment, imagine what a church like that would be like. Where when you came in, everybody was excited about the very same thing. And everything else, everybody else's agenda, well, we talk a little bit about this and this and this, but that's not what we're really excited about. We're pumped up when we can talk about Jesus and what he's doing. Here's another point regarding this together idea. Keep your mind on the character of God, who he is and what he's done. In fact, you see this back in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, because there we see the word again. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God. And what did they say? Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by his Holy Spirit. They say, listen, um, we are together about the fact that God is sovereign. That talks about his character, who he is. And the fact that he made the heavens and the earth. That talks about what he's done. We can have togetherness around who God is. And all those other differences, they're just not that big anymore. They're just not that big anymore. Fellowship Bible Church um, started years ago without a denominational name attached to it. And I have been so, like, remarkably surprised lately of the various backgrounds that people come from, from denominations that form Fellowship Bible Church. We have Methodists, we have Baptists, we have those from Assembly of God, we, we have some who came from a Catholic background. We have a lot of people from a lot of different places. And guess what? You're probably sitting right in the middle of people who didn't grow up in the kind of church you grew up in. But here's the thing. If our mind is on the character of God, what he's done and who he is, if that's where our conversations are, all of that other stuff kind of starts to pale in comparison. It's not that a church doesn't have their own distinctives, but the point is, is that the main thing has to be the main thing. It's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. That's what it's about. That's how you begin to build unity. I've been a part of uh, times where the church hasn't had unity, and I can feel it when it happens. It's about passion, about various agendas, but not everybody with the same passion about the same agenda, that Christ would be exalted. Here's the third idea. Examine yourself carefully. Examine yourself carefully. We find this in verse 13 because notice what happened. And if you weren't with us last week, I got to tell you a little bit of what's going on in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, everybody's selling their homes. They're just giving their money away. They're coming in saying, hey, if somebody needs something, they can have it. Hey, I heard there was a need. I'm going to go sell some property. I'll be back in just a minute. I got to go sell my property. I'll be back and I'll give them something. Like that's what's going on in the church, right? 
And Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife team, they decide that they want to be known for that, but they want to hold a little bit of something back. So they hold something back, and when they hold it back, um, they come in, and Ananias comes in first, and Peter says, listen, is this the amount you gave? And he said, yeah, that's it. Is that what you sold your property for? Yeah, that's it. Praise God, praise God. Um, You're lying, and he dies. His wife comes in a little later. He says, is this what you did? And she said, yeah, that's what we did. He said, you're lying, and she dies. Okay. Now, just for a moment, imagine what kind of reputation that church has. Okay. Like, you've come here, some of you from other churches, and you probably would say something like, well, you know, I went to that church, and I knew so-and-so, and whatever, whatever. And, and sometimes you might say, well, I heard this about that church. Okay. Can you imagine if this was what you heard about this church? You can go there, but you may not come out alive. Like, this is why the text says, and it's, it's almost funny, none of the rest dare join them. They didn't want to join. Why? Because, and here's, here it is, because God knew, you ready for this? What was in Ananias and Sapphira's heart, even though nobody else did? And if you walk in that place, if you join those guys, like, you've got to know that God knows what's going on inside, and that's really, that's really uncomfortable, like God knows what you were thinking. God knows what you're desiring. God knows what you're wanting. And if you act like you don't have a problem, if you act like you got it all together, guess what? You may want to make sure you got your life insurance and plan in place before you walk in that church. Okay. And here's the point. One study Bible says, these unbelievers, that is those who were afraid to join them, had respect for the followers of Jesus but feared the deadly potential of joining the church. Maybe another way to say that is this. Give greater attention to your inner desires that God sees than your outer reactions that others see. Give greater attention to your inner desires that God sees than your outer reaction that others see. Okay. Let me have a moment of full transparency, okay? Okay. And I ought to have you probably bow your head so nobody sees if you have to raise your hands for this, okay? How many of you have come to church at least once in your history, not maybe fellowship, maybe fellowship too, had a knockdown, drag-out argument in the car, stepped out, smiled, and shook brother so-and-so's hand. Can I see you, hands? Okay, that's right, okay? We often can put on an impression that we don't have that's not going on in the rest of our world. I just want to remind you, you ready for this? God saw what happened in the car. When you walked in and said, and someone says, hey, good morning, how are you? And you said, I'm fine, and you're not. God knows that. Maybe I could even say it this way. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. What if church was like this? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, Can you pray for me? Really? Sure, I'll pray for you. What do you need me to pray for you for? Uh, It's been a tough day. I got some stuff going on. That's okay. That's okay. Like, that is a proper approach to getting help, not worrying so much about what's going on on the outside that you haven't adequately examined what's going on on the, that you haven't adequately examined what's going on on the inside. Years ago, I remember hearing the story, you know how when we come to the Lord's table, we always pause and say, okay, let's pause and, and make sure you examine what's going on in your heart, check your relationship with the Lord, Right? And I remember um, hearing one person say, you know, I went to that church for communion, but they didn't give me a chance to check if I was right with the Lord. And the son said to him, hey, mom, maybe you ought to check 
not just once a month if you're right with the Lord. Okay. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. And that's what happens. That's why these people respect the Christians. But they're not sure they want to become a part of them because they know what's going on in here. Here's the fourth idea. The fourth idea. When God is active, you want to do this. Okay? Pray with expectancy. Pray with expectancy. When you look at Acts chapter 4 and 5, you are tempted to say, well, the apostles have this special power. Peter's got this special power. They're healing people with this special power. Okay? And you forget that a whole section of Acts chapter 4 was a prayer meeting where they specifically prayed certain things and expected those things to take place. Here it is in Acts chapter 4. Pray for others to believe in Jesus. Just pray and expect them to. Pray for others to believe in Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 30, notice how they make that about Jesus. In the prayer time in Acts chapter 4, they say, Lord, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. But look at Acts chapter 5, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. They prayed, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, God brings that prayer request to fruition. Here's the second idea. Pray for courage as you share Jesus. Pray for courage as you share Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. This is the prayer meeting. And grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, when the apostles are let out of prison, and uh, right here in Acts chapter 5, they've been thrown in prison, and, and the angel opens the door. He says, go back up there and start preaching again. And lo and behold, that's what they do. They go right back to the place they were arrested before. They aren't hiding someplace. They aren't saying, hey, listen, we're going to do some stuff in the upper room if you want to be a part. They just go right back to the temple, right out in the public square, and begin to preach again. They keep teaching. Why? Because they prayed that they could speak with boldness, and they stepped forward and spoke with boldness. Uh, where are our navigator friends that spent the, their spring break in New York City? Can I see your hands? Okay. Well, we got a whole group over here. Okay. Uh, you can put your hands down. Were any of you just a little timid when you first stepped up and started talking to somebody? Okay. Yeah, there you go. Great. Some honest people in the group. The rest of you we need to pray for. Okay. okay. But listen, you probably prayed before you went, and you stepped up and saw God do something that was just like, what happened? Not only what happened to the person you spoke with, but what happened to you, right? That you suddenly could say and do things that you didn't know you could even do, right? It's remarkable. It's always like that. One of the reasons we're a little timid is that we don't only pray for people to come to Jesus, but we pray that we would have courage when we share or boldness when we share. That's exactly what they prayed, and that's exactly what happened. And multitudes, literally more and more and more people kept coming to Christ. Here's the third idea. Pray that the focus may remain on Jesus. Pray that the focus may remain on Jesus. So it's three ways to pray with expectancy. Pray for others to believe in Jesus. Pray for courage as you share Jesus. Pray that the focus may remain on Jesus. And here it is in Acts chapter 4, verse 27. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy... This is their prayer meeting, chapter 4. Against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. That's the idea that we get the idea from Messiah from. 
And look what happens in Acts chapter 5. The God of our fathers, Peter in his preaching, says, raise Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Makes it all about the cross. And then he says this, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. They make it all about Jesus. It's a simple way to pray when God is at work. God's at work. You see God working. You see maybe there's a conversation you can have. Pray that others will believe. Pray that you'll have courage to share. And pray that the focus just remains on Jesus. But what we should learn to do is to pray with an expectancy. I remember hearing a story of, uh, of a really serious drought in the state of Ohio. And so they called the evangelist Charles Finney to come and pray that God might send rain. And as people gathered, they were all gathering that God might send rain. Someone said, where's, where's the evangelist? Where's the evangelist? Where's Charles Finney? It had been, been an extended period of time without rain, and there was no rain on the horizon. Okay? And someone said, well, that's him over there. They said, how do you know? Have you met him? He said, no, he's the one carrying the umbrella. Okay. That's right. We should pray with some degree of expectancy. We expect God to do something. That's what they did. Finally, one last one. Here it is. Oh, let me show you this real quickly. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now, we tend to think that that's just the apostles doing the work. But if you look back in the prayer meeting, Acts chapter 4, look at how they're praying. Now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your world with boldness. Here it comes. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. There it is again. Focus on Jesus. Lord, the signs and wonders took place because they prayed, and God answered their prayer. Okay, let's pray. Pray for others. Pray for courage. Pray that the focus would remain on Jesus. One final one. Here it is. Prepare for persecution routinely. I love the fact, um, Justin, that you reminded us that we can sing and worship the Lord through the storm. It doesn't have to mean that everything is perfect. Uh, it usually isn't perfect. Um, and this is one of the things you see about this church in Acts. They're, they're praying, they're serving, they're doing all that work, and they keep getting thrown in jail. Like over and over again, they keep getting thrown in jail. So prepare for persecution routinely. And here's how we look at that. In persecution... God remains ultimately in control. In persecution, God remains ultimately in control. If you've ever had the privilege of going to print at prison, that, that is maybe doing ministry in prison, okay? If you've ever had the privilege of going to prison, you know there is this moment when you go to prison where you step, you get cleared, you step in, and all of a sudden the door shuts behind you. It's usually a really heavy door, and you hear a click. And now you're in this space between two doors, two doors that are really big and really and heavy, and they're both locked, and then the next door opens up, and then you walk out into the hallway, and then that door shuts, and you hear it go click. Right? You're locked in there. There have been an occasion or two where I was visiting doing ministry in prison, and I ended up in the hallway waiting um, for all of a sudden, um, waiting, for, um, waiting to, for the person I was supposed to meet in, in a separate room. And while I'm there in the hallway, I can see the guards are down there behind glass, and all of a sudden a door opens, and it felt like half the prison was coming right down the hallway. And it's just me in there, right? Holding up my Bible. Hey, guys. <laughs> I don't have any weapon but this one, all right? Go easy, go easy, okay, okay. So you get the picture that these men are locked in prison. You ready for this? Watch this. This is so classic. Acts 5, Acts 12, Acts 16. 
But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. That's our passage. Acts chapter 12. And they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. They were in prison and they're coming out. Acts chapter 16. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. Okay. If you want a prison break, you need to put the apostles in prison. Okay. Because God just keeps opening the door. You say, well, that's cool. You know why that's really cool? Because the religious leaders think they're in charge. And God says, there's no door that I can't open for these guys. I can open any door I want at any time I want. They're not trapped. They're not trapped. By the way, three times, Acts 5, Acts 12, Acts 16. Can I just give you some hope for a moment? Do you have a struggle or a temptation that feels like it's imprisoned you? You say, yeah, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. You do understand that there is a sovereign God who is opening doors for you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted, but will with the temptation provide a door of escape that you may be able to bear it. Over and over again, when you're reading the scriptures, you will see that God says, listen, I'm still sovereign. I'm still in charge. I'm ultimately in control. And I can open the doors I need to open. Do you struggle with an addiction? that you just wish you could get over? Can I remind you? It's not about you and your strength. It's about God saying, I know you feel like you're in prison. I can open doors. I can open doors. I can open doors. Whatever your difficulty, whatever your struggle, I just want to remind you, do you struggle with depression that seems like it's overwhelming? You do understand. God just doesn't open doors once, twice, three times, God opens doors, okay? And that's because we can say of God that whatever the difficulty, whatever the persecution, God remains ultimately in control. You are not the victim of the other person who did something. God is opening doors. He's opening doors. That doesn't mean there isn't pain. That doesn't mean there isn't difficulty. But I just want to remind you, you're not the one who gets through it in your own courage. A sovereign God opens doors of healing for you. He does. It's not simply about you. It's about God opening doors. And if you've ever felt imprisoned, that's our God. He opens doors. He opens doors over and over and over again. Here's the second idea. In persecution, God doesn't leave us alone. I love this one. In persecution, God doesn't leave us alone. For the text says, but during the night... An angel of the Lord. Now, if you're familiar with that phrase, um, you know that in the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, whenever you see that, it was speaking of, usually it was speaking of the person of Christ. We don't know that that's what's pictured here, but we do know this, that the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, is there to give comfort and remind the person of God's presence, remind the prisoners of God's presence as he lets them out. And, and that angel of the Lord is going to show up a couple times. It's going to show up again. He's going to show up again in Acts chapter 12. And, and the, the earthquake happens later in Acts 16. But, but the angel of the Lord shows up often when God opens the doors. In persecution, God remains ultimately in control. But in persecution, God doesn't leave us alone. His presence is there. And, and you've got to know that during your most difficult times, 
If you paused and said, this is hard, but I'm just going to go to my Bible, I'm going to trust in the Lord, I'm going to lean into God, that you know that even though it feels like you're alone at times, there is a a presence there that otherwise wouldn't be there. Years ago, I remember Kim and I had good friends in California, and his wife was succumbing to lung cancer, and I remember speaking to him, and I was so drawn by a phrase he said, Uh, She would pass away, and he would say to me, Phil, when your wife is dying of cancer, the scriptures are on fire. They're on fire. Like he said, I open up my Bible, and it's like, I don't ever see that before. I just want to remind you that during those difficulties, when we lean into God, we'll find that we're not alone. We are not alone. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door that was in front of them. Here's the third idea. In persecution, we are to remain steadfast. You've got to trust in God for protection. In persecution, we are to remain steadfast. You have to trust in God for the protection. There is a, a couple of action words found in what the angel of the Lord says to the apostles. And here it is, verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people. This is what you're supposed to do. I want you, God wants you, the angel of the Lord said, to go exactly back to where they arrested you and stand and speak. Now, there's this really cool element going on with these two verbs. Stand is in the passive tense and speak is in passive voice and speak is in the active voice, which means you're going to have to stand there passively like you're not doing this in your own strength. You're standing there, but God's enabling you to stand there. But speak is in the active voice. So once you get standing there, once you're steadfast, you better get busy speaking, okay? That's yours to do. Speak to the people. Stand, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord, and speak. Whatever God is asking you to speak, speak. And I love that. That's this really cool, steadfast kind of thing. I'm going to get my feet planted, and I'm going to talk. That's it. And that's because when persecution comes, we are to remain steadfast, trust in God for protection. And so the angel Lord says, prison doors are open. Uh, It's time to go. The apostles walk out. They said, hey... Last one to the temple is a rotten egg this morning. We're shooting right up there, and we're going to do this right now. We're going to stand, and we're going to start preaching. And when the religious leaders said, hey, to the jailers, go get them out, they open up the doors, and there's nobody there. And they said, what happened? Now, just for a moment, picture that. The religious leaders are probably thinking, we're going to get accused of killing these guys, of losing these guys. We're going to be accused. And someone says, don't worry, we found them. They're right back where you left them. They went right back to where you left them, and they're still preaching even though you're going to persecute them because they remained steadfast and they trusted God for protection. Five things we want to do when God is at work. Serve with anonymity. Seek to build unity. Examine yourself carefully. Pray with expectancy. Prepare for persecution routinely, and then you're ready for it. And you're ready for it as you step forward. We've been talking about this um, throughout our, our lessons together So let me just give it to you one more time. Here it is. A changed life is the best argument that God is real. You want to share Christ with someone? Then just allow Christ to work through you and respond in a way that your life has changed. Show others that your life has changed, not in your own strength, not in your own ability, but in what God has done. And I'm telling you, that is a really hard argument when someone says, how did you respond that way when they said that? Well, I respond that way because God's changing me. How did you handle suffering like that? By God's grace. How did you handle the difficulty when you were laid off at work like that? I would have been so mad. Okay? 
because God is gracious. My life has changed because of what God has done in me. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning, to be reminded of these truths, that you are real, and because of that, our lives can change. And I know, Lord, there's folks here who come with their own hurt and their own struggles, and we are not immune to that, but we know that you walk with us through that. And I know those pain and difficulty is great, and and pushes people to responses that are hard on them, too. But we know, Lord, that you open doors. You've set us free. You have set us free. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever elements of bondage, both in thought patterns or desires or even addictions are there, that you will remind us today that you are the God who is in control. And you are the God who opens prison doors multiple times. This morning, wherever you are, just sitting here, I just want to make sure that today you know you're prayed for. So let me just do that right now. Father, for those who are hurting today, I call upon your grace to be bestowed upon them. That they would be able to say today, I can't explain it, but I know God is at work. My life is hard, but I know God is at work. May you bring your presence to them in such a way that they know it, that they believe it, that they're strengthened by it, Lord, and that they can walk steadfastly because of your work in their life. And if they're struggling, they need the help of another believer, Lord, may they reach out today. May they not wait, may they not put it off. May they seek help. Lord, may we know ultimately that you're the sovereign God who controls all things. It's in your name we pray. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.